0: Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. Uh, This is a show where we watch every episode of Revolutionary Girl Utena. We'll possibly someday do the movie as well. Um, (laughs) and And we review them episode by episode. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And the hitch with all of this is that this is Chesney's first time seeing this i am a super fan i've been watching this show for many many years um i tend to watch it every couple of years something like that i'm a super nerd okay um (laughs) but this is chesney's first time seeing it and if you're just tuning in now and have not heard that spiel before that's the deal you might want to go back and start from the beginning but otherwise we you know we encourage people to watch it along with us um and today we are on episode five, the Sunlit Garden finale, which is the second part of a two-part episode involving Mickey.
1: I feel like the whole thing almost went completely over my head because of how um, obtuse Mickey is in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just very... he's. He's very set in his um in his own ways and dream and really he's just stuck in his past.
0: Yeah, uh, oh that is absolutely a a theme in this episode.
1: Yeah. And I just <laughs> for a while well, I guess watching the last episode rather and then coming into this one, I thought that his shining thing was the relationship with his sister. And it turns out that that's really not the case because his sister shows up in this episode and he kind of treats her coldly. So rather the special thing that's revealed, at least to me at the very end, um, is more so the feeling that he gets when someone plays the piano or when someone's playing the piano with them. But it's a feeling that um, someone else invokes within him. And he's just trying to get that back. The whole time, <laughs> I thought he was trying to find his sister, but no, it turns out his sister is alive and well, she just doesn't like playing the piano.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the episode opens with Jury and Mickey fighting. And this episode, they're dueling, rather, um, but not in, like, the dueling arena. They're doing it in the fencing club, Mm -hmm. which um, does, like, double duty for the show of establishing that, yes, all four of the student council members, or at least the current student council members, know what they're doing with a sword, because right away... There's these girls talking in the background about how Juri and Mickey both fence at the national level. Uh, they are masters of their art for high schoolers, and previously we have seen Toga and Sionji, who are masters of kendo. Um, and so now we know that like they come from two different like uh, disciplines. But all four of the student council members know their way around a sword.
1: Yep, and Jury's the captain of the fencing club.
0: I don't Correct. know if we got that in the last episode, but we got it in this one. And Mickey wins this duel, mm-hmm. which Chesney doesn't know this yet. Although she does, because I've told this to her before. Um, this is the like one of the only times we see Jury lose a fight,
1: which is something.
0: Yeah, Um, but put a pin in that because we're not there yet. But Mm -hmm. this is one of the only times we actually see her lose a duel. Because she doesn't lose her duels with Utana. And I'll explain why when we get to them. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: Jury is such a, like, not just a mentor, it seems to Mickey, but also seems like an older sister figure to him. At least in my view.
0: Yeah. And I I think some of it comes from the way that just Mickey is as a character. We got some hints Mm -hmm. of it in the last episode. But of all the student council members, Mickey seems like the kindest one of them. Almost to the the point where, like, how did he fall in with this group?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "You, you actually, later on in the episode, he actually claims to want Anthony's personal freedom uh for her like he wants her to be able to have that for herself rather
0: yeah like even if he's pursuing it a little bit cynically and selfishly yeah it holds enough weight for him that he would make the case for that in in the first place
1: yeah so like really how did he fall in with the student council and then how (laughs) did he not know how did he not know like you've been in with them this long and you didn't know this about the rose bride that like she has to do whatever the person she's engaged to says and blah 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 like all those rules how did you miss all this bro did you miss like the first meeting
0: see i think he does get it like i think he gets it it's just that like this is the first time he gets it you know like (laughs) it finally hits him the level of control that the person she's engaged to actually has Uh, um because like he's never wanted that control before so it has never mattered and now like he's finally processing like what it would mean to him personally if he was in charge of the rose ride
1: Which also kind of says something about his character, because even though, like, you know, in this episode, he's like, oh, I'm fighting for her to have her own personal freedom, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, why weren't you fighting for this from the beginning? Like, you've known about this from the beginning of you joining the student council. So why weren't you fighting for this then? Because this was a problem then. Like, nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> between then and now. So I feel like it says something about his character like you only got involved because like y- you only decided that this was a problem because you personally got involved. I don't yeah. I don't know. I don't really like that about his character, because I feel like if you were really about this, if you were really about what you say you're about, you would have fought for this from the beginning. And you probably wouldn't have joined this stupid fucking council. But- <laughs> but you did
0: i i completely agree with you this episode lays bare how hollow his worldview is yeah like how cynical it can be at the same time like he's a teenager like this is how teenagers can be in terms of like balancing finally understanding altruism with just this relentless selfishness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Yeah.
1: And he does come across as a very like naive character too. So yeah, that makes sense. And
0: so like the flashbacks that we see with him and his sister playing in the garden, Mm -hmm. clearly he also comes from money. And Uh I just want to, I just want to assume that everyone who goes to a Tory comes from substantial money. Mm -hmm. Um, just because it makes everything in the show make more sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, seriously.
0: But at the same time, like, that's a thing, right? Where if you're insulated from the real problems of the world, until they actually come home to you, um, it's easy to not care. But then once you've had something like really significant happen to you, it can be a lot easier to see others suffering in what you have gone through even if what they're going through is completely different yeah and so i think this is a moment where like mickey is finally seeing what this is about but the moment it's presented to him it's immediately bound up with what he can gain by keeping the status quo Mm mm-hmm so, um. yeah,
1: that was um that was really I would say underhanded, but it's kind of, I mean it's it's underhanded when dealing with Mickey because he is so naive, um, but it was really underhanded of the student council prez Toga,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> pause on that until we get to it because, like, okay. the, the moment with Toga is priceless. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. It's definitely something.
0: So um, then we cut to this moment where Mickey is bringing Anthony a watering can and it looks like a tea kettle or like a genie's lamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, But, like, you can feel the Vaseline on the lens just by, like, how, like, (laughs) pastel and ethereal the music is and, like, the shots. Like, the only thing I can think of to describe this scene is, like, unrelentingly floral in, like, an overbearing kind of way. (laughs) They really want you to understand that Mickey is falling for Anthe hard. Yeah. And they give you three seconds to figure that out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like again, like I I, I can just feel the Vaseline on that lens. Like it's just so (laughs) thick.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what kills me is that throughout this entire episode, Anthe just plays dumb. The whole time she's like, quote unquote, clueless. Even though I know, we know as the audience, we know that she's not really dumb or clueless. Like she knows what the fuck is going on.
0: Right. But we've seen enough moments of insight from her to get that. Yeah. Even now, like by episode five, we've seen enough of it.
1: Yeah. But she still keeps up the charade. She's like, yeah, ha ha ha, whatever. (laughs) Like she's just playing it up that she's a ditz. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Utana walks in and is like, whoa, did I interrupt something? And everyone's just kind of embarrassed. And I, what I love about that, though, is that on like a core level, her understanding of her relationship to Anthe is not one of ownership. Yeah. Where like they're so-called engaged. She's won the duel. They live together. But on like a deep level Utana's assumption going into this like walking in on this is that anthe is completely free to flirt with boys if she wants to hell yeah and like that is such a different perspective that is just baked into her worldview so much that she would even say a line like that like whoa did I am i interrupting and isn't judging it's just like I feel like the awkward one here not not being jealous of mickey or angry at Anthy. she's just like whoops <laughs> go back to it guys i you you got a room and i walked in on it <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut to the three of them and Anthe is playing in the sunlit garden and we find out in this scene that mickey wrote it like this super famous piece of music like in universe famous Um, Mickey wrote it because he and his sister used to play it together.
1: So, okay. We covered this in the last time, but it's been a little bit. So remind me, this is a real song, right? Like this is not a song that was created for the show, right? This is a real like composition or no.
0: Um, as far as I know, this is just from Revolutionary Glutena. Uh, okay, like, Googling it now, like, the only results are RGU, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. For some reason, I thought last time we had talked about, like, this is a real song, like, that exists out in the world. And um, I was it like...
0: in, like, the world of Utena, like, out beyond yeah, yeah. the walls of the school. Um, but, like, I mean... Moonlight Sonata, which is the it, <laughs> like, that's a real song, <laughs> yeah. Sure, yes, yeah. it is, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, which I almost like I almost said, uh, Moonlight Garden or Moonlit Garden because like I had that in my head, but no, like it's Sunlit Garden and it's just for the show.
1: Okay, got it, but yeah, still an interesting and kind of powerful moment that. They're just having this little aside of, oh, you wrote it? But it's a famous song. (laughs) And it was kind of like, it was kind of like shade almost. Like, (laughs) but it's famous.
0: (laughs) It's like finding out that, like, your friend went viral on TikTok years ago. It couldn't have been years ago. It went went viral (laughs) on Vine years ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go.
0: And like, wait a second, that was you? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, then Mickey utters this line that and I wrote this one down. All my happiness lay in that garden, but I destroyed it.
1: Yeah, I wrote that down, too. I destroyed it with my own hands. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and, wow, man. This, this Why was this such a pivotal moment for you? But right. then it plays out.
0: Well, that's just it. Because like I don't understand why he sees it this way. I accept that he does, but (laughs) I don't get how he sees it as his fault or like him destroying it with his own hands. Because I don't see any act of volition in him getting measles. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because the very next scene is the flashback to showing him with measles sick in bed and Kozue having to play the song alone. Um, So
1: I look at it as again, Mickey is written as this very like naive character who still he's stuck in the past but he has this like almost childlike nature to him um which makes sense because mentally he's stuck in this garden <laughs> um that he was he was in with his sister when he was like God knows how old five or something but um, I look at it like he's seeing it through his eyes as a child. And I feel like sometimes when you're a kid or children in general, you get sick or something happens, the tendency is to blame yourself. Like, if I hadn't have gotten sick, then mom and dad wouldn't have gotten divorced. That kind of mentality. You know what I mean?
0: Sure. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah.
1: So that's, I understand that, like, that's where he's coming from with it, but I still don't think he, like, I agree with you in that, like, this one moment in your childhood shouldn't have been, like, all of your happiness. Like, what else happened in that rich household? <laughs> like, what <laughs> what else was going on at home there, Mickey? Because if this was your... Here like (laughs) (laughs) yeah like if this was your one moment of happiness between then and now that like this is what you look at even now i i just i'm a little concerned about your home life
0: right oh for sure um before we go on though like i really want to highlight like the visual style of these flashback scenes because now we've Mm -hmm. seen it enough times to to concretely establish like this is a visual style that they use where whenever we're talking about someone's memory the faces are pure black
1: yeah which is so interesting
0: like you can see and like they're usually kind of like monochromatic also Or like dichromatic. Like it's not a very wide color palette in these scenes Mm -hmm. either. Um, They usually pick one and just hammer it. Um, Usually a color related to the character themselves because each of the characters is color coded. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like I love the way that they do that where like the parts of memory that get hazy are the faces.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that too, because it's true. Yeah. Like details like that fade over time, and you more so remember the events or the the idea of something happening as opposed to the details of it, like what yeah, their like faces, spatial look like
0: relationships or sounds, mm-hmm. stuff like yeah. That. But like the intricate details of a person's face. Even if it's someone like really close to you, like in Utana's case, her parents, you know, like something like that or the prince that saves her. The
1: Mm -hmm. face is
0: just gone. Yeah. Even her own face is gone. Yeah. Like she doesn't remember what she looked like as a kid.
1: Yeah, that's that to me signals trauma. But (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like if you can't remember what you looked like as a kid. That, to me, signals trauma. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. I like that they do that, too.
0: And then the other thing that is now becoming more and more clearly established is that each of the characters, like each of the student council members, is fighting for something specific. They have a specific thing that they are hung up on. That they believe the solution to is Anthe or the power from the castle in the sky. Yeah. So like, you know we've seen it with Sionji a couple times now, and we're seeing it with Mickey now of the thing they're fighting for is somehow only accessible through Anthe, which, Yes, on a storytelling level, like, yes, that's just good storytelling. Uh, Making everyone (laughs) fight over the same thing. Obvious storytelling (laughs) trope. But (laughs) um, thematically, it puts all of them on a a level playing field, uh, trauma-wise, really, of whatever it is that happened to them, they're all equally hung up in this moment.
1: Yeah. I want to go back to something really quick so in the scene where mickey is saying all my happiness lay in that garden but i destroyed it with my own hands and then he proceeds to tell the story that we just talked about of um you know he got sick with measles his sister i think their dad maybe was forcing the sister to play the concert without um Without him, it wasn't really clear who that figure was. But it was some kind of male authority figure. Um, So she had to play by herself. She runs off. She hides until sunlight because she's so terrified. Um, And then wouldn't say why she ran and hid from people. They're having this whole conversation. He's telling the story. He's not even telling it to Anthe. He's just telling it to Utena. Anthe is like off by herself. Just like staring out a window. Like, again, just not even an active participant in the conversation. And they're having this conversation kind of about her. So she should be present in this, too, but she's just not. And it continues to reinforce this idea that Anthe is a means to an end. Anthe is an object. Anthe is the object of the Rose Bride. That's it. At least in my mind.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely absolutely that is not accidental i'm sure
1: yeah but it bothers me <laughs> every, every time they do this i'm like you motherfuckers include Anthy in the conversation what are you doing why would you why would you have a conversation like that like i can't imagine you and i and then like carly one of our mutual friends Being in the same room and Carly's just fucking off and doing whatever in the corner. And we're all three having a conversation. But Carly's just like playing with a monkey rat or something. Like, what is going
0: on with that? Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. Hold up. You're telling me you can't picture Carly playing with a monkey rat in the corner while the two of us are talking?
1: (laughs) You know what? Now that I think about it, I could see her playing <laughs> with a monkey rat.
0: <laughs> Carly, we love you. I'm absolutely leaving this in, though. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I just the idea of three people having a, quote, having a conversation and then one of them just, like, being left out or not being an active participant. It's just weird.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And it bothers me because I'm like, why would you? And of course, it's this is just how the show is written. This is how the story is written. But like, why would you as a person do this to someone?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, then Mickey says, like, I could never recapture that feeling of being in the garden until Himamia, which Utena then calls out as, hey, I think you found your shining thing, dude. Are you in love with her? And yeah, immediately, just like whoops, said the thing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, somebody had to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like, there's this conversation between Anthea and Utana, where Utana is finally like, "Oh my God, stop it with the bride stuff, God." <laughs> <laughs> um. And she kind of gets on a soapbox here and says that, like, it is, like, I'm not in charge of you. It is ridiculous to deprive someone of their freedom, specifically in this case, the freedom to choose, like, who they marry. Yeah. And we smash cut to the student council saying their mantra. Because... Yep. Nikki is going to throw down. (laughs) He then quotes Utena to the Student Council verbatim and says, this is why we need to dissolve the student council. What we're doing here is ridiculous because we are depriving someone of their freedom. And it is ridiculous to do this to Anthe. And everyone's like, oh, eh, all right. <laughs> yeah, that was
1: that was a big <laughs> that was a big moment uh for me but it seemed like a less big of a moment for the council. So I don't know if they've had previous members that have said similar things or they're just like yeah, that's never going to happen. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> like if they're just like good joke, Mickey. You know, like <laughs> um
0: or like they've all worked through their own personal selfishness to the point where they're just open about being selfish. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but somebody having the gall, even if it is borrowing somebody else's or stealing someone else's words, um, someone having the gall to straight up be like, we need to dissolve the student council now. I'm calling an emergency <laughs> meeting to dissolve this <laughs> <laughs> is, is a big moment uh, as an audience member.
0: Oh, Yeah. I think what's interesting is how Mickey mirrors Utana, both in this moment and overall. Um, yeah. There's a couple of key differences in their worldview, but, like, Utana charges in and is intent on saving Anthe. And we'll get to see a little bit later how that is a problem. Like, how... She is still in her own way objectifying Anthe. Um mm-hmm. specifically, like it objectifies Anthe by making her the damsel in distress that mm-hmm. Utina gets to be a prince by saving. Yeah. So she's still um like engaging in this on the like a, a transactional level that way. And but that'll be later, but like In this moment, we see it with Mickey, where he's lying to himself about his motivations, even if he's doing the right thing. Like, Utena's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Here we see Mickey doing the same thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and he even asks, like, at the very end of the conversation, they're talking about, um, well, actually, I'm not even sure if it was sparked by something that they said, or if he just prompts aren't we going to smash something important to someone and then both toga and jury just reply like monotone almost their mantra which is blah 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 we do this for the revolution of the world yeah like like robotic almost (laughs) the way that they just intone it back to him (laughs) But he asks an important question, like, and it's one that he wasn't thinking of before, it seems, and that maybe nobody else in this group really cares about. Actually, not even maybe. They point blank don't care about whether or not they're going to smash something important to someone in their revolution.
0: Oh, yeah. Toga straight up says, youth blinds people to what they really seek. Mm -hmm. Like, he calls... out as like dude you're lying to yourself about why you're doing this and as long as you keep lying to yourself about this you're not going to get what you actually want yep yep so then we have uh the eye catch which is where the commercial break would have gone Uh (laughs) um (laughs) cut to Mickey bumping into his sister coming out of the piano room
1: who also apparently goes to the school like it makes sense they were the same age but just the way that he talked about his sister and the way that this the show (laughs) so far was building up this moment I would have thought she was either missing or dead you know like (laughs) it just seemed like that was what was going to happen. So I kind of appreciated the subversion of that trope of like, Oh, I'm looking for like my long lost sister. Or like, Oh, you remind me so much of my dead sister. Oh, she's alive in this one. You know, like, <laughs> thank, thank God, actually.
0: <laughs> but like it really highlights how distant the two of them have become that like, he talks about her as if she's not there anymore. Yeah. Because, you know, in a day-to-day sense, she isn't a part of his life. So then he bumps into her, and they're both a little put off by by bumping into each other. Yeah,
1: which is weird, right? Because, like, I mean, unless their parents got divorced or something. Like, you both grew up in the same household. For God's sake, you go to the same school together. So you're probably doing the same homework. Like, why... Aren't you interacting with each other more?
0: (laughs) So a very important point to make in in this moment. uh, When they bump into each other, Kozue is coming out of the piano room. And she, her uniform is very disheveled. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She is rearranging her uniform as they are talking. Mm Mm-hmm. And her response to Mickey about it was, you know, the piano room isn't just for the piano.
1: Yeah. Oh, and here's the other thing. When they bump into each other, he drops his music book and um, they exchange a few words. But she's basically like, aren't you going to try to get me to play the piano again? And he's he says, I don't have any more hope for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, my God god it's such a cold response to somebody that you had such a close relationship with and that you idolize that moment uh growing up so it's so sad
0: right like i mean to say that to your twin no less you know yeah
1: yeah seriously and but yeah she totally she totally banged a toga in the music room <laughs> yeah, because, because- <laughs> that's
0: what we see <laughs> Yeah, we, we see him walk into the music room and there's Toga leaning on the piano, shirt unbuttoned down to his waist, just like, <laughs> sup, dude.
1: <laughs> oh, my God, it was so funny.
0: <laughs> and he says, and I quote, your sister is as cute as you are. And I wrote that down, going. too.
1: Jesus. <laughs> I missed the easygoing part. I just wrote down your sister is as cute as you are.
0: Yeah, no, like, he says, and uh she's as easygoing. Damn. Which
1: I is really want both twins.
0: I really want to know. Yeah, really. Um <laughs> you know, you're not you're not as far off as you might think when you're talking about toga, and that scares me. Um uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like i really want to know if there's more nuance to the japanese line that he says here oh um or if like the localization really captured all of it Um, uh, just because like it's pretty smarmy like he is <laughs> he is laying it on so thick in this moment
1: yeah um. <laughs> oh for sure That was absolutely intentional, like him leaving his shirt open and everything like he wanted for one reason or another. He wanted Mickey to see that.
0: Yeah, didn't want them to walk in like walking on them stone cold fucking, but definitely wanted to see wanted him to see that like it happened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and honestly kind of seemed up for a round two with him. I'm not going to lie.
0: Again, you're not that far off when talking about <laughs> Toga. He is this show's bisexual disaster.
1: You know what? I was going to say bi-king, but we can't really <laughs> determine if he's we can't really determine king status yet because <laughs> I don't I don't really know his character. There's been some suspicious things, so uh just just bisexual disaster is good for now. <laughs> but he totally wants to be that Casanova, you can tell. And like Not just in this scene, but later on in like this weird like fever dream, I guess, that Mickey is having or I don't know if it's a flashback or what, but (laughs) (laughs) when like... Toga's totally like sexily talking to Mickey's consciousness,
0: I guess. Yeah. And that's later (laughs) in this scene.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He has like his shirt open still and he's like laying on a bed. It's like a total Casanova moment. Like the wind is slightly blowing the curtains on the bed. And
0: like, (laughs) yeah. And like, he's just lounging there. This is clearly the kind of. Horrified fantasy that Mickey is is obsessing over like like I, I get the feeling that we're supposed to think that Mickey is so obsessed about this moment that just occurred that he is playing it up in his mind to the nth degree like this was clearly a uh, <laughs> like, it, it reminds me of that shot in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh-huh. <laughs> when Frank is seducing uh Brad and Janet both? Yes. We're like it's in silhouette on the four-post bed and like there's this very sheer uh fabric, you know, curtain around the bed and you can Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. It's so that
0: moment. It so is. Yeah, it's just oozing with sexuality and and so, like, he has now played up in his mind what is really going on here. Um, and so, then we cut to, um, he's talking to Anthony, And he says, you must have been as cute as an angel when you were younger.
1: It's kind of creepy. It's giving kind of creepy vibes. I'm yeah. not going to lie.
0: Yeah, no. Like, he has tipped over from like kind friend to nice guy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I I just feel like in what world is a high schooler going to say that to another high schooler? I it's just it, like how it much younger are natural. we talking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just mm, creepy. Didn't like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, he then asks her if, or he asked her to play with him some more. And she's like, yeah, I can if Utana says so. And then he says, wait, if she asks you to stop, would you stop playing music? And this whole time she's been playing uh, the song again. And at that moment, she just hard stops. Music cuts out completely. It is silence. And she turns to him with that Stepford smile and says... Of course, I have to do whatever the person I'm engaged to wants.
1: Yep. Boom.
0: <laughs> Mickey yep. has now decided he is going to throw down. He shows up at Utena's class and gives her a rose as a duel challenge. <laughs> Which
1: I didn't realize, like, they just showed up in person and gave them the white roses. I thought maybe those were given up on the platform, the dueling platform. I was like...
0: I think he's just being theatrical.
1: (laughs) Okay. Because when this happened, I was like, wait, aren't they supposed to keep the dueling arena a secret? Like, why?
0: (laughs) He's just saying this
1: in front of a classroom full of students. So now the rest of the students are probably like, did he just say he was going to fight Utana after school? Like... (laughs) But to his credit, he does challenge her... It's a little different from, like, Sionji challenging Utana. It's not disrespectful. It's polite, but firm.
0: Right. Yeah, he definitely doesn't see as beneath him.
1: No. No, and they were friends. Because, like, when he shows up, Utena's, like, proudly showing him, like, oh, yeah, I got the math questions that you tutored me on right. Like, she's so proud to show her new friend. And she's, like, I was like, oh, gosh, Utena, aren't you going to be upset that, like,
0: yeah, just he's like, challenged you. Can, you? Well, you can see like the sense of betrayal on her face,
1: and then yeah. again, like then... When we,
0: then we cut to the dueling arena, we see it again. But before that, we have the shadow girls. Yep, I love this shadow girls moment <laughs> with the pirate <laughs> ship, and one of them, <laughs> one of them is declaring themselves as the the pirate captain who who. All the precious treasures of the world belong to her, um, mm-hmm. and then the other one just keeps saying, "Yeah, but do you have what you really want?" Yeah, and um, and like this calls back to a line that Toga had said: "If you don't defend the things that are precious to you, someone will take them away." Mm-hmm. Um, and so the one shadow girl just keeps hammering the ship captain one who's saying like, but is this what you want? Have you stolen the thing you really want is being a captain? What you really want? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and as the shadow girl captain is sitting there pondering the question and saying like, what I really want, then a a ship, the ship springs a leak. (laughs) Yep. We don't get the resolution of that. Um, Because Mickey is doing the same thing. He keeps fighting for one-offs. And he is hung up on the past. And he is hung up on his identity as a musician. And all these aspects of him come crashing down when he finally decides to challenge Utena. Because like all of his protests to the contrary... Um, He actually is willing to fight for Anthe.
1: Yep. Okay. So we move into the duel and the, you know, it shows the preparation scene beforehand, which is just like, um, not routine. Oh my gosh. What's the word I'm looking for?
0: Oh, it's like a ritual, right?
1: Yes. Thank you. Ritual. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's ritual at this point. Um, You know, the, little water drop to her ring, and then she's the only one that goes up the stairs because the elevator is um, you know,
0: for the student <laughs> student,
1: council. Yeah, <laughs> student council access only. Um something interesting that I wrote down I picked up from the lyrics of the absolute destiny apocalypse song is the darkness of Sodom, the darkness of light, when talking about like, you know, building up to the duel. Um that's a strong statement. <laughs> I don't know uh I don't know how many of you folks out there studied anything to do uh with the Bible, but Sodom Sodom wasn't a good place uh according to the Bible, y'all. Um, there's a lot of dis- there's a lot of dispute over what exactly was going on there. Um but <laughs> interesting that the song points this out at all or points to this at all and then follows it up with the darkness of light
0: the story of sodom and gomorrah is echoed another time in in the book of judges there's a second like incredibly similar story in that one as well um generally like in pop culture it's seen as like a a place of debauchery yeah but like, if you actually look at the original text, it's it's not quite that clear that that's what the problem was.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But the reputation that has been built up over thousands of years has been one for debauchery, specifically sexual debauchery, which is where you mm-hmm. get the term sodomy for anal sex. Yep. Like, yep. Yeah. So, like, that's what is being referenced in the show. Not necessarily the anal sex part (laughs) (laughs) unless i guess almost toga's involved Uh,
1: (laughs) i was about to say the same thing i was like well we don't really know what toga's getting up to it's if it's happening it's off camera so (laughs) so (laughs) but the fact the fact that they reference that at all in the song um is certainly something especially i guess it's just talking about the state of the world and why they need the revolution or you know the apocalypse etc um but it's just uh, they really think the world is to that level and some people do, not to their credit but some people actually do think that it's that level you know like not just in revolutionary girl and antenna but like in real life um oh, for
0: sure So, and like, I think it's a really important thing to bring up, though, because the underlying subject of this show is teens grappling with their sexuality and their sexual identity in the face of trauma. And we haven't necessarily gotten to where the trauma piece comes in yet, but we're already seeing the struggle with sexuality and the. The whole thing, like, especially in the 90s when this came out, was the whole thing with queer identity at all were these comparisons to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, you're right. And so it's just another piece of that puzzle of this show being ultimately about grappling with one's identity and one's relationship to other people.
1: And even on that, I I want to say meta of a level where it's in the historical context and like the context of which the show was written and published and um, the manga too, of course. But yeah, that is such a good point to bring up. And it's such a level in the meta of the show that I honestly wasn't even thinking
0: about. So then the duel itself starts proper, and Utena just has this, like, ice cold, so it's come to this, where, like, she really wanted to believe that Mickey was above all the dueling and everything else, and she just feels so betrayed in this moment. Not betrayed enough to lose, but she <laughs> feels betrayed.
1: Yeah. And speaking of ice cold, she also says, <laughs> I think her coldest line yet, which is, I think being seated at the piano suited you a lot more.
0: Ice cold. <laughs> I love this girl. <laughs> <laughs> so the song that's playing during this duel is uh, Spira Mirabella's, uh Gekijo, which is Miraculous Spiral Theater. Um, The first two words are in Latin. The last one's in Japanese. Um, Spira Mirabilis is uh, Jacob Bernoulli's term for the logarithmic spiral, which is like what nautilus shells look like. Yeah. Um, And they keep chanting Spira Mirabilis throughout the song. Um, And talking about like the trappings of theater and calling back to the idea that this is all a performance. And as this duel plays out, Mickey keeps reaffirming that he is doing this so that Anthony can always continue to play music because on some level he believes that that's what she wants. And so he thinks he's doing this for her. And he has so convinced himself of that that there comes a moment where Anthe cheers on Utena and it shatters him. Like we, we see the screen shatter, like it shatters him.
1: Yeah. And honestly, if it weren't for that moment, I don't think Utena would have won because the difference in their skill, um, as like swordsman's swordsmanship skill level uh is definitely evident here like we already know Mickey's part of the fencing club and yada yada yada. I mean he just got a hit on the fencing team captain who's also a student council member jury uh at the very beginning of the episode but he's very poised and his hits are very calculated and meanwhile utena is like swinging wide and has very little technique she's just raw power in her uh, swordsmanship.
0: Yeah. And so it again calls back to the way that winning these duels is more psychological than physical. Yeah. The power of Dios comes to Utana because she has the right mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. The others lose because... They are coming up against the thing that is trapping them. The thing that is holding them back. And they still haven't resolved it. Like for in this case for Mickey, it is his belief that he is doing this for Anthe, which she just takes that right away from him.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like she reaches into his brain and just pulls that certainty out and is like, Nope. You don't get to be certain about this. I actually want Utena to win.
1: Yeah. And so he loses because he has that like stagger because he loses his certainty. And so that's when Utena cuts the rose and she's like, are you satisfied now? Are we done? Can we move on from this? Uh, And she kind of, she ends the fight on a little bit of a bitter note. But Anthony comes in and, you know, while Mickey's kind of like reeling from what the fuck just happened. And she tells him well done and that she'd like to study with him again. And that was just really sweet. And like put a little band aid over <laughs> Mickey's, right. her pride, I guess.
0: <laughs> like, so one of the things, um, uh that is so important in human relationships is the concept of repair because we all damage relationships all the time. Not like we're all bulls in China shops and everyone's feelings are easily broken. It's just that like we all do things that like our partners or our parents or our kids or our siblings aren't happy with us about. Yeah. But the effort to repair a relationship afterwards is actually more important than not doing harm. Yeah. Because like that can be co-opted in some really toxic ways and that's like part of how abuse works. But the thing is that process isn't itself the problem. It's actually a normal and healthy part of relationships because you build trust by resolving conflict yeah and like you don't trust someone nearly as much until after the first time you've had a fight with them and you both come back to the table and stay friends yeah and so then you like like that's that moment you finally get to see like how far your friend will push things or how far you'll push things with them and that it's not a deal breaker you can go there with that person you're safe to go there with them um and like this is a, that moment for the three of them where Utana's still up in her feelings about it i get that She's the one who was betrayed here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like. Anthe at least doesn't hold it against Mickey that he was dueling for a really selfish reason. You know, like she takes the step to mending their relationship, which is a lot of agency for Anthe. Yeah. Like a lot of agency within her own relationships with these other characters.
1: Yeah, I mean I was surprised that she said anything at all. And it was such an it really was such a nice surprise and honestly band-aid for us as the audience too. <laughs> um to have her come in and say that. Because yeah. again, I don't think even though Mickey has his flaws and his naivety, Naivete whatever however you say it um he has those things about him and he definitely you know he's still a teenager he can definitely improve on things as he goes through life but um he's not all bad and Anthony and Utana saw that see that in him so it was so sweet and like you said so much agency for her to step in and and begin to repair that relationship automatically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like without being told to by Utena. Cuz like Yeah. And it's actually in a sense counter to what Utana might be feeling at that moment.
1: Yeah. Because you would think sh- her first instinct as the rose bride would be to immediately follow after Utena and just like follow behind her, you know, not a thought in the head just a little frozen pea rattling around <laughs> <laughs> obviously i kid I that- is smart and i, I, I fight love- for her every day
0: <laughs> i love that you you specified a frozen pea <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. but you'd expect her to do something like that but instead she turns around and offers um you know offers that uh, olive branch of peace.
0: Yeah. So we close this episode with a fascinating scene.
1: Yeah. Between holy cow,
0: <laughs> kozue and another girl, Keiko is one of Nanami's triplets. Where they're talking about the way that Kosui doesn't play music anymore, and and what went on with that. And she says, "When I was a kid." A boy wrote me a, a neighbor boy wrote me a love letter uh, about my my playing, but he misunderstood that I only played with my brother, and I was so bad at it, he made up for my sloppy playing. And so we see that like for her, this was never about the music. This was about time with her brother, and so like that yep. moment when she couldn't perform. It was because, like, she actually couldn't perform. She wasn't good enough to do that solo. Um, yeah. And then when she found out that, like, it was expected of her, she just never played again. Which is really tragic. Um, but also, it cuts back to the theme of the episode of what do you really want? Cosway, in a sense, found it by walking away from from playing with Mickey. For her, this was just about time with him. And the music itself wasn't a big deal to her. And yeah. so as soon as it became too much, she just walked away because it wasn't what she really wanted. She didn't want to be a musician. Um, Which and-
1: shows that she is leaps and bounds ahead of her brother, her twin brother, who was stuck in the past because she already resolved this even though she had like a um almost like a breakdown episode as like a a child where she went and hid until the sun came up Mm -hmm. she still resolved this within herself and her brother could not
0: it is going to be so interesting when we see her come back and see which aspects of her character are still unresolved because this Mm -hmm. is not the last time we're going to see kozuey
1: Oh, okay. I figured only because when her character first showed up, there was this nice little blue rose that spiraled on the screen. And I was like, hmm, that's the first time we've seen that for a supporting character, other than, like, yeah. auntie.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, um, she even has color-coded hair. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so we know that at some point she's going to pick up a sword. Oh um, shit. Like, it's a thing. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay, so as we close out the episode, what are your predictions for next time?
1: Hmm. So the preview for this one was absolutely hilarious. Nanami is running for her life from these animals and the background talk is Utena and Anthe narrating the episode or the preview and Utena's like someone's trying to kill Nanami and all the accidents involve animals and Anthe's like oh wow and Utena's like Anthe you should have a stronger reaction to this people think that it's you <laughs> Oh my god, it was <laughs> priceless. So here we have Anthony continuing to play the part of the dits. You know, I mean,
0: after that <laughs> last episode, she's not wrong. Like,
1: yeah, <laughs> the, the you mean the last episode we had with Nami? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Smails Where like all at, the animals <laughs>
0: in the pencil box, uh, a ferret in the desk, and. Um, a giant octopus balloon in the closet. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, she's like so, an
0: anti-Disney princess, only using <laughs> only using her power over animals for evil. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's like what the Evil Queen and Snow White wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I would say for next time, my predictions are it's. <laughs> Knowing Nanami, she probably got involved in something that backfired on her. Um, <laughs> She tried to twist something a certain way to her advantage and it backfired. And now all of these animals are coming after her.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I don't know. I don't know if it's a relationship with another person or what the heck. Maybe she made a deal with a pet shop owner. Who knows?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say that's not what happens, but now I kind of wish it was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nanami made a deal with the pet shop owner, and it has gone south. <laughs> the pet shop owner <laughs> sends all of his animals after her.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Now I'm just, like, picturing Death Note, but, like, it's just animals. <laughs> like, you write the person's name in the notebook, and animals take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, OK. So you can if you have questions, comments or like we would love to hear reader mail. Uh, if you have anything you want to say to us, um, we are at Gmail at Absolute Destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. You can catch us on Twitter and on Instagram at uh, Zeta Unme Pod. Um, yeah, we would love to hear from you. Uh, chesney and i are both also personally on twitter i am at life and neon
1: yeah and i am at car cutie and it's <laughs> spelled weird so i don't know <laughs> if you're able to find me <laughs> but um it's k-a-r-q-u-e-u-e-t-i-e
0: do you want to uh, plug your twitch also because you're on twitch too
1: well, I mean, if you're going to leave the door open for me too, of course I will. <laughs> yeah, so it's the same uh it's the same handle uh for me on Twitch and right now we're going through um the Cottage Living expansion pack for The Sims 4 uh and just having an absolute blast. Um we started out with a one of like my family legacy Sims going to college and they met a great group of friends one of which is an evil kleptomaniac um one of which is a stand stand user (laughs) yeah yeah wait 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 wait. one of which is an evil kleptomaniac (laughs) that fishes all the time and lives her best e-girl life one of which is a stand user whose stand is a llama her name is mo and the stand is tina aka mo money mo problems (laughs) um So it's just a really great time over there. So uh, come and hang out anytime you want. I usually stream on Tuesdays and Fridays um, starting at like six or seven. And Autumn, you have a Twitch as well, don't
0: you? I do. I am at Life in Neon, same as my Twitter handle. Um, And most recently I was going through Mass Effect. Um, I have not been on Twitch recently enough to have like A regular streaming time but i will probably in the future um i'm mostly focused on editing this podcast right now
1: (laughs) fair thank you
0: (laughs) i am not a regular streamer but that's where i am like when i do stream
1: and i personally would love to see your mass effect playthroughs and your takes on that sometime
0: oh man i i'm still working on mass effect one we are about to get to the um uh the the general kirby speech of hold the line <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah we're about to get to that point uh, where we have to decide ashley or caden spoiler alert caden oh yeah absolutely
1: um,
0: 100% 100% <laughs> but uh yeah awesome. so that is where you can find us elsewhere um please write in we love to hear from you
1: Yeah. See y'all next time.